Hope you had a good New Year's. Uh, we started a new series last week, kicking off the new year, looking toward 2018. Uh, we kind of thought this is a good time to kind of think about the year to come. Uh, think about the year that's gone, but also think about the year to come and what God might be doing in our lives. I think in every, all facets of our life, right? So uh, your life, my life as individual believers in Jesus Christ, uh, our life as a church family here at Family Bible Church, and then what God's doing in the community and in the church globally, right? Like all the people of God everywhere. I hope you understand that what Jesus started is not meant to be any kind of person's domain, but it's his kingdom and his people, right? I mean, it's amazing to me that, the, that the God starting with a relationship with you or I directly, inviting us into his salvation and his love and his mercy and his grace and his future is just the first step of him calling a, a whole people from history to glorify his name, to be with him forever, and to, and to live and, and breathe uh, and experience him in this life right now. So it's, it's, it's amazing to me that it starts so small, but it's such huge implications. I had no understanding of that really uh, when I came to faith in Jesus, that he's calling up people for himself globally. We talked last week uh, about how we often, as Chris just demonstrated this morning, encourage one another to invite others to come as they are, to join us for worship, to come to church. But we also talked about how hard that is to do sometimes, right? Like, we think it's easy if we're not the ones that are coming, but when we're going somewhere, we find out how hard it is. And as a matter of fact, I kind of threw out that challenge that maybe instead of always encouraging people to come as we are, we should have the courage to go as, as we are instead of them coming as they are. We just go as we are. I want to kind of build off that this week, right? This idea of, of, of why we should go as we are and wh why that matters, you know? What is it about uh, our relationship with Jesus that would cause us, compel us to go as we are into the, into the world? The last thing that we talked about was this idea that um, to go, uh, oh man, we have some great passages today, but to go in the power in the name of Jesus Christ is a bold act of faith, Get this, it's not faith in us. I think that's why so few of us are willing to go and do and share because we think it's about us getting it right. Fundamentally, it's about faith in Jesus. The church is all about the faith in Jesus Christ. And so when, in our going, uh, we are, go as an act of faith in Jesus Christ. We talked about that too. I want to start with a, a passage of scripture this morning. I'm going to pray, we always do, before we get into this God's word, that he would give us uh, wisdom. I appreciated the prayer earlier already that God would speak through me. That's my prayer. Man, my prayer is that God would be in the speaking and the hearing, that you would hear what God needs you to hear. Wait, wait, he wants you to hear today, and that you'd be changed by it. Not because I said it, because I'm nothing special, but because he said it, and he's awesome. So let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunities you've given us to know you and to worship you and to live our lives in, in front of you, uh, before you. Lord, you knew us before we came to be. You will uh, be, know us forever. We'll know you. And uh, I pray, Father, that in this time that we would just give ourselves over to learning from you. That we would, whatever we're coming out of this week, Father, this new year, the hopes, the expectations, the plans, the, the uh, you know, commitments we've made, that, that we would fundamentally be looking to you for what you would have for us in our lives. We want you to be the teacher. We want you to be uh, Father, to be glorified, to be worshipped among us, and, and therefore we depend ultimately upon you for a revelation. So would you teach us, Father? Um, your Holy Spirit is here. We don't have to ask you to come. We know you're here. Father, would you use your Holy Spirit to teach us 
in our innermost beings, the truths that you want us to know. We love you so much. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you uh, for the revelation that it is to, to your son, Jesus Christ, who we can believe in for the forgiveness of all of our sins. What a gift. And to follow you um, forever, to be with you. We just thank you for that spark you've ignited in our souls. May you be glorified as we worship you together through your word in Jesus Christ. Amen. So check this out. I want to share with you a passage from a revelation. Uh, I actually tried this morning. You would think this was hilarious, but uh, I tried to bring a door. <laughs> it turns out it wouldn't fit my car, <laughs> which meant in this frigid temperature, I actually dismounted a door from my house and went out and tried to jam it in the back of our SUV, which was too small, unfortunately. Um, and so I want to talk about doors today and, and what those are. So just in your mind, I want you to imagine Imagine a door, if you would. Do me the favor. Because this passage from Revelation, I'm sure some of you already know what it is, uh, has to do with doors. I'm going to put it on the screen. You can turn there if you want. It's Revelation 3, verse 20. This is what the word says. Here I am, or as some of you may know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he will eat with me. That is uh, Jesus speaking in the Revelation uh, to John. Um, this moment of opportunity. I just literally think about Jesus standing at the door knocking. I remember whenever I was a little kid, my grandmother had a painting in her house, and it was Jesus standing outside of a door. It wasn't a door like in my house, kind of a door. It was this kind of gothic door. It had like, anybody seen that? It had like some kind of archway of like stone. It had this little like um, metal gate you could, peephole you could look through, you know, like medieval times doors. Jesus had a lamp, and he was standing like this. I remember that, and every night I'd go to sleep, and maybe in a velvet painting, I don't even know. But I remember laying in bed and looking at that and wondering, what? What is that? That was my mental image of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Many times in our lives, we'll say things like opportunity knocks, right? Like there's opportunities right now to go and do new things. 2018's coming, y'all. Like make some resolutions, make some plans. Jesus says this, look, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with you. And you will eat with me. What a peculiar thing to say. I want to talk a little bit about who he's talking to because we can lose the meaning on context a little bit, right? Like, I like that verse all by itself. I just love that. I stand at the door and knock. So Jesus is knocking on the door and think all kind of imagery with doors. But check this out. This is written, verse 14 says this, to the, church, to the angel of the church and Laodicea, write this. So he's telling John, write this to the church in Laodicea. Laodicea is a modern-day Turkey, turns out, right? And it's the church, one of the seven churches in what's called Asia Minor, which I don't know why it's called Asia Minor. Y'all can fill me in later. It's not even by Asia that I can tell on the map, but what do I know? Anyway, it's kind of like uh, northwest of Israel across the sea. So he says, write this to the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you, neither, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, 
neither hot nor cold. I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired great wealth, and I have no need of anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you can become truly rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and ointment to put on your eyes so you can finally see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Look, here I am, staying at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my, my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. That's a little different, isn't it? Have you ever connected that thought that Jesus makes when he talks to John in the Revelation that his standing at the door knocking is about the opportunities we have to be passionately believing in him, to be passionately following him, and you might read that and you go, you know what, man, that's for the church in the land of Dicea. That's that seven churches of Asia Minor. They're real places. That's a real ministry opportunity. That's a real, all that. Yeah, do you see? Hear what the Spirit says to the what? Churches. Every one of them ends that way, by the way. It says that in all of them. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches, that you'd have ears to hear the truth. Jesus says, look, the opportunities are rampant. Would you believe? Would you believe he, he kind of runs through there. You're neither hot nor cold. And then he says this terrifying thing, I'm about. Now, it's funny, right? Um, there's a little bit of fear and trepidation. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He, it, it's kind of like I'm almost sick of it, but not quite, but almost. I want to think about the church historic here. You know, family Bible is about 10 years old, right? 10 years old, um, we are part of a faith lineage that goes back thousands of years. The, the word to the church in Laodicea is the same word to the church now. All the churches, not just family Bible church, we're just one of the churches. Don't be lukewarm. And then upon saying that, I would, I would rather you be one or the other. Be completely cold or be completely hot, but don't be in the middle. You know what? You know what that sounds like? And listen, I feel this. It sounds like complacency. It sounds like apathy, man. It sounds like good enough. That's good enough, you know? This whole following Jesus thing, it's like a journey. You, you don't get all the answers on day one, and I'm, I've talked to some saints who have been following Jesus for 40 years, and they don't have all the answers where they're at now. I mean, we, we learn all the time, right? That's part of being a disciple, just to be a learner from Jesus. But listen, it's a journey somewhere, <laughs> you know? It's a journey forward. I'd rather you be hot or cold. I've never heard anyone preach this passage by the way and say, so just be cold. <laughs> just close the door, pull the shutters, and call it a day. Because he says that's better than being lukewarm. Why would that be? Behold, he stands at the door and 
knocks. I want to ask you a question this morning. It's going to be an interactive exercise, if you would. I'm just going to ask it for everybody. Feel free to answer it as you see fit. How many of you consider yourselves ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. If you're a minister of the gospel. Some of you are really sheepish about it. I need to see some hands, people. I'm not, not, not if you don't. Not if you don't. Well, that's, okay, interesting. Yeah. Some of you guys got like the lap wave going on. Did you see that? That's boldness, people. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not picking on you. Do you consider yourselves to be ministers? Okay, okay. Hmm. Here's another way maybe you've heard that asked. How many of you consider yourself to be missionaries for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, some higher hands. Interesting. Oh, that, that's, that's pretty wild. Um, I want to talk about this idea. Man, it is a journey, and I'm, I'm like with you on this journey, right? But here's the thing. We're going to jump into the gospel of, of Matthew, but here's the thing. Um, disciples become ministers. I want to explain that to you. And I know we've screwed this up, I think, in the church in North America, maybe the church globally. We've all screwed this up. But disciples in the Bible become ministers. And I know you're thinking, I like my job, Bill. I don't think I want to be a minister. Listen, we're going to talk about that. Another way you might say it, disciples become missionaries. Okay, you know. But definitely become ministers. As a matter of fact, disciples usually become believers and then become ministers. That's peculiar. There's a point in Scripture where Jesus said, finally you believe to his disciples. Some, some definitions to start with so you all know what we're talking about here. And you all should know this, but I'm going to say it again just for the sake of clarity. Discipleship only means learning. You're a student, right? Mathetes. You learn from Jesus. That's all that's required to be a disciple of Jesus. It sounds like this high holy word, I'm a disciple. No, you're learning from Jesus, you're a disciple. If you're learning from God, you're a disciple. If you're learning from the Holy Spirit's you know, influence in your life, you're a disciple of God. That's what that means. So it means nothing more than to be a learner. Now, you might be a learner and not a believer. You might be willing to learn about Jesus but not believe in Jesus yet. And that is evidence in Scripture when Jesus says to the disciples, ah, finally you believe. So the first step is being the disciple of Jesus. But the natural outcome is to become a minister. I want you to turn, uh, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10. We're going to cover verse, uh, verse 24 through, I think, yeah, 28. <clears throat> so this is Jesus, and a little bit of context. He's going to send out the 12 um, to learn. Look. He called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority, and then he sent them out. That's what he's getting ready to do here. And in verse 24, let's pick it up there. Jesus says this to his disciples. A student is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. It is enough that a student be like his teacher, and the servant be like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. Verse 26, so do not be afraid of them. 
There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not be afraid of those who can kill your body but do no more, or who can kill your body but can't kill your soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. That's Jesus talking to his disciples about going out. Isn't that a remarkable passage of Scripture? Why is he talking to them? I told you last week, one of the things that happens is we're afraid. We're afraid of what it means. We're afraid of, of what people will think. We're afraid of us screwing it up because we screw everything up, right? But listen to the clear commands that Jesus gives to the disciples. And this is only part of it. You can read that entire chapter. He gives a whole bunch of instructions to disciples. This is how you go out into the world. This is what expected of my disciples. There's an implication, and I don't know if you know this, but there's an implication in Jesus' teaching ministry. It says he taught us one who had authority, and we're like, yeah, we love that, right? Because he would cast out demons, and he would heal people, and he had authority. We're like, yes. And then we look at the same Jesus in our own lives, and he says things like this, when you go out, don't be afraid, and we're like, well, maybe. Where's his authority in that? He taught us one who had authority. And he says to the disciples, go out. 24, a student is to be like his Teacher, that's the goal. A servant should be like his master. That's the goal. This is this really crazy thing. We're not Jesus, but we're supposed to become like Jesus in our lives. That's a normative pr process of discipleship. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. People believe, I, I believe in Jesus for salvation, um, I remember one time whenever I was 11, I, I went forward during a church service or I was at camp and I gave my life to Christ. And, and I remember I got baptized with my brother and sister. I remember that. I was there and I, I believe in Jesus. And then we don't do anything that Jesus says to do with our lives. And you might feel like I'm, I'm picking on you. I'm just saying, is this, uh, is this honest? What is one of the things he says? Have you ever proclaimed from a rooftop something God has whispered in your ear? The things that you hear God telling you to do if you're a believer in Jesus? You know those moments that you have when you're in prayer and God says, hey, hey, I want you to do something. In that moment, like, are you chasing to obedience? Are you like, I'm going to go do that right now. I'm going to go go out right now and say that to that person. I'm going to go find that. I'm going to go proclaim that. I don't know who I'm going to tell it to. I'm going to go share that. Or do you not have those things? In the middle of this, he says, if the head of the household has been called Beelzebub, how much more are the members of the household? And I think, that's not very nice. Like, how are you going to talk about that? You know who is called Beelzebub? Jesus. The Pharisees had accused him. His disciples had seen the Pharisees accuse Jesus of being false, a liar, double-minded, double-tongued, deceiver. Remember that? And he, he argues with them. He's like, how, how can the house be divided against itself? There's no way. He says, if that's happened of me, how much more would happen of you? Of course things are going to go wrong. Of course people are going to say no. Of course people are going to not. They're going to think you're weird or different. Of course they are. If it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. How much more would happen to you? But he's making a case. We ought not be afraid. We shouldn't. 
We're supposed to become like Jesus. Jesus seemed to have no fear, right? I mean, if you look at his ministry, you go, well, it's Jesus, right? But we're supposed to become like that. If we know him, we become like him. Don't be afraid of them, he says in 26. Simply, don't be afraid of them. Who? Anyone that's going to oppose you. Any, any thought in your mind about what could go wrong. Disciples are supposed to become ministers. They're supposed to become doers of the word, not hearers of the word only. I say this because, and honestly, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it's going in your life following Jesus. I don't know how active or passive it is. But I know this. When I, when I hear other pastors talk and I read, it, it seems that there's a huge contingent of people in the church that think that they're awesome because they're going to church on Sundays. Right? They think that that's it, that they've done it. Congratulations. Awesome. Maybe they've invited people to join them. That's awesome. Listen, the body of Christ is supposed to be a body of work. It's supposed to be out living and serving and breathing and experiencing the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives, not just coming together with our friends on Sunday and going, this is cool, isn't it? That's not the goal. There's an epidemic, it seems. Get this. Pastors of churches of all sizes are beginning to freak out a little bit, going, are, is anyone really believing the good news? Or are we just lukewarm? Don't, don't, get, don't be too crazy. Don't ask too much of me. God I mean, I believe you, but don't ask too much of me. Don't send me out amongst those people. Don't, don't ask me to give in that way. The things that are whispered in your ear, you should proclaim from the rooftops. Now listen, then he says this, as if it's not clear enough. Don't fear them. Why? Because you should fear the God you serve. That's what he says at the end. That's one of my favorite verses, by the way, um, because it says, don't fear those who can kill the body and not kill your soul. He kind of throws out like the ultimate card. All they can do is kill you. <laughs> That's what Jesus says. They can't stop you. <laughs> they can just kill you. But fear the one who can kill the body and then condemn your soul to hell. That's not people. That's not people. There's a holy, righteous God who sent his son to die on a cross that we might be free of sin. And this is not about guilt or obligation. It's about a passionate following of Jesus. If we understand that, that there's a righteous, holy God that sent his son to die on the cross, we might be free of our sin. And then he says to go out and don't be afraid of people. We ought to be more afraid of who God is than who those people are and be obedient to the call to go out and do it. Like we, that should, that's just what should happen. And Jesus says this, not like in a theoretical, philosophical way. He's like, there's really a God who really will hold you to account for things that you've done. Uh, it's not only found in this passage of Scripture, it's found in other places of Scripture as well. I will hold each one accountable for what they've done. What are we accountable for? What we know, what he whispered, what he told us, what he called us to. Here's an uh, interesting thing about um, this idea that the disciples become ministers. Many of you won't raise your hand, or didn't raise your hand, or wouldn't raise your hand, because you think that word minister is like a special word, right? It means some, some other made-up word we made up, like clergy, or um, whatever, you know. And so you go, I'm not really a minister. Now, some of you did, and I'm just making a case that I think the Bible calls us to become uh, ministers, and not just hearers. Uh, doers, livers, and not just believers. It must matter more than a philosophical agreement, or it doesn't matter at all. Because our whole life, everything that God has made, 
is functioning through the truth of the gospel and the call to go and be a, a minister of the gospel in this life. It's embedded in everything that we do and, and have. Here's a funny thing. One reason the word ministry doesn't make a lot of sense. We call everything we do inside of the church a ministry. Wait. I want you to think about that for a minute. Children's ministry. Women's ministry. Men's ministry. Youth ministry. Coffee ministry. <laughs> Greeting ministry. <laughs> don't we? And then whenever we say, are you a minister? You're like, well, no, I don't. I, I, I'm not. I don't, you want someone to serve in the church. Is that what you're after, uh, Bill? I, I, I guess I could serve in the church. That's not what ministry means. I mean, that's ministry. Don't get me wrong. Ministry simply means service. You're in the service of the Lord. You're in the service of the gospel. And certainly children's ministry and things. But listen, ministry is not meant to be only inside the church. It's meant to be our lives. We live our lives in ministry. This has been poked at and prodded at in different ways over the years. You might have heard it said this way, worship. Our lives are filled with worship. Worship is work. Work is ministry. It's the same thing. We're called to live differently. I'll share with you up here, uh, in that same, uh, that same verse, or same chapter, a few different verses later, Jesus says this. To his disciples, by the way, he's about to send out. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses life for my sake will find it. Did you? Anyone who won't bear the burden of carrying your cross daily isn't worthy of Jesus. What does that mean? Like, why would he say that to the disciples? If you're not willing to go out there and suffer, you're not worthy of me. He tells the disciples. Check it out. He says it again in Matthew 16, 24 through 27. If I can get my pages to turn, that'd be awesome. There we go. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will what find it he's not doing this to punish us cause us to leave behind this awesome life we've always had when we didn't obey jesus he's like no carry your cross and you're going to find your life's calling like you're going to be changed by the experience anyone who uh wants to save his life will lose it but anyone who loses life for me will find his life what good will it be if a man gains the entire world, but he forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And, when, and then he will, what's the word say? Reward each person according to what they have done. That's just a weird thing, honestly, to get our heads around. Because it kind of reminds me when you're at work, or maybe you're a kid and you're at home. Uh, you're at work and you find out the boss is coming. And you, everybody panics. <laughs> you know, or you're a kid and you're at home and you've been screwing around and all of a sudden you hear the carpool on the driveway and you go, oh, mom's home, dad's home. And you bust it trying to, 
Like, that's kind of how it feels to me, you know, that it, you better be willing to carry your cross because he's, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say he's going to be so angry when he gets here. It says what? He's going to reward you for each of the work that you've done. He's going to be like, that's awesome that you've been doing that. The obedience isn't about discipline. It's about blessing. It's like the pleasing God and wanting to, you know, experience that. Listen, to find our lives. I mean, how ridiculous would it be if we lived our whole lives as Christians and we never exercised those muscles and then we go, well, that wasn't very exciting. God's like, because you never obeyed me. If we would only obey him and go and be sent out and believe in him and trust in his Holy Spirit and experience the life, then all of a sudden we have a life and we go, wow, this life, who deserves this life? Not us. But he gave it to us. We find life. I can imagine. We need to just calm down. Don't be so crazy about following Jesus. We're saved. We're going to be with him forever. There's plenty of time, right? He says, no, pick up your cross and follow me. It's kind of funny. I'll share with you. Um, you might think uh, if, if um, someone said in a room full of people, who, are you a minister of the gospel? I'd be the person in the front seat going, ooh, ooh, I am, I am. I don't know that I would be either. Have you ever seen those little white collars that clergy wear sometime? I don't wear one of those collars. It freaks me out. What does that mean? Sometimes when I go to the hospitals for visits, though, and there's that little uh, clergy parking, I take that spot if I'm visiting someone. It's like being pregnant. You know, you like the privileged few, pregnant people, handicapped people, and clergy. I'll park there. Only if I'm on church business. If I'm not, I feel like it's cheating. I'm just here to see a friend or a family member. Why? I don't want people to think I have to be holy. I don't want to wear that collar and embarrass God. So instead, I show up places, and they go, you're a pastor. And I'm like, right. <laughs> that could be your experience. So you go out in your life, and you show up somewhere, and they're like, you're a fill-in-the-blank. They probably can call you a minister. Like, you really believe this stuff? Right? You? I know you. Right? The people of God will be obedient to the Spirit of God and risk Risk living for his glory and for our good. Believing that what Jesus said is true. Well, here's the next thing. And I've been thinking about this. This is why I went to the door here this morning. <laughs> Every threshold is an opportunity. I started thinking about this this week with the Jesus standing at the door knocking, right? <clears throat> we have an opportunity on Sunday mornings. And we stand in front of that door, and praise God, we have our greeting ministry. And someone's there to say, hey, good morning, how are you? And give us an engagement sheet, an announcement sheet, and give us a hug or a handshake, or whatever we're comfortable with. And they welcome us into the space. That's an awesome opportunity. That's a threshold experience. It's an opportunity to stand on one, this side and wait for people to come through the door and, and, and greet them. Every threshold of our lives has an opportunity in it. Every door that we go through has an opportunity uh, in it to live and to experience uh, the reality of Jesus. Started, I started off uh, talking this morning from Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I thought about that, right? If anyone would, uh, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I think there's some reality to that, even on things like a Sunday morning door. You think, you think, you think we get in here to get to Jesus? I think Jesus is standing out there. 
And he's knocking. Can I come in? Can I? Yeah, come on in. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, you, you, you receive Jesus in. No, no, he doesn't claim which side of the door he's on. Matter of fact, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Post-resurrection, Jesus shows up places without going through the doors. He's just already there. That's how that works. He says, I stand at the door and knock. So we welcome people to church on Sundays. Let's look at uh, Luke 19. Give me just a second to get there with you. Luke 19, 1 through 10. This is a long story. I'll just read through it. It's worth hearing. And then just talk about this idea of, of Jesus crossing thresholds. Uh, I think we can look at his ministry and we can see he is repeatedly going uh, through doors, as we all do, right? Why am I making a point of this? I want us to think about that. Honestly, I'll just tell you my whole secret plan here. I want you, every time you walk through a door, to think about the gospel opportunity that's presented for you. Every door you go through. That was interesting. In the Old Testament, the Hebrews were told to paint over the doorposts, right? The promises of God. Paint over the blood covenant. Don't forget the promises that God has made over you as you depart your domain, your, your dwelling. I want us to think about that when we go through doors. 19, Luke 19, this is what the word says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Thank you, Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be with the guests of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll repay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and save what was lost. You may have heard this story before Zacchaeus. Many of you may have sang a song about Zacchaeus as a kid. I didn't. I know you all maybe did. It's this big experience everybody had I didn't have. <laughs> but... That's kind of a shame because we've turned, as we often do, a beautiful illustration of discipleship and um, believing faith into a, a rhyme about a short guy who climbs a tree because he can't see. That's kind of silly, isn't it? Did you hear what happened? Zacchaeus is wealthy. He's rich. He's got no need of anything. But he hears Jesus is coming and he wants to see what this is all about. Did you hear what happens? He knows Jesus is coming the way. He can't see him. So what's he do? He runs ahead. He's like a strategic thinker. He's like, I'm gonna, I can't, I don't have time to climb this tree, but if I run that way far enough, I can climb that tree and I can catch Jesus when he goes by. Like, that's planning. Wait, that's dedication. That's passion. Zacchaeus is going to see Jesus. And he does it. And then, you know, Jesus gets there and he sees Zacchaeus, this crazy dude in a tree, and he says, hey, Get out of the tree. I'm going to come to your house. What's that about? What's that about? Then people get upset. Why do you want his house? 
You know what that dude is? Chief tax collector. Remember Matthew was a tax collector? Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's wearing the big Rolex because he got all your money. He's a sinner. They don't mean sinner like he's sinned. He, he's evil. He's a sinner against God and God's people. The chief tax collector. And in that moment of Jesus' willingness to go and eat in Zacchaeus' house, to walk in there and have a meal with them, to hang out with them, and the accusation that, Jesus, you're hanging out with sinners again, in the middle of the moment, Zacchaeus repents of his sin. Do you hear the story? I'm going to give half of all my money away. And then anyone that I cheated, I'm going to pay back four times what I stole from him. And Jesus says, brother, salvation's come to your house today. Because he did those things? No. Salvation came because Jesus entered Zacchaeus' life. That's the truth. Jesus gives opportunities every time we enter a threshold. Listen, here's a crazy thing. Uh, I came out of corporate. Like, before I was a pastor, I was a corporate guy, kind of like a middle management guy. I wasn't a muckety-muck or whatever, but I walked in the doors of many muckety-mucks, right? Um, I didn't like going in their office. It was intimidating. <laughs> um, after I was in corporate, I was in medical, and I used to go into high-powered doctor's office, like top doctors in the nation people, people that you didn't even ask them questions because you were afraid you'd offend them being stupid. You know what I mean? They're like the cream of the crop. And you know what? The difference, when I was at corporate, I wasn't a believer. I was still scared to death to be in those offices. And, and I didn't feel like I had a lot to say to those people. You know why? Because they made it. So those thresholds for me were dead. When I was in medical, those guys were way more educated than I am. And they could do way more cool stuff for people, like healing. <laughs> I felt like I had nothing to say. The problem was when I was in medical, I was a believer. And I believed this lie that I had nothing to say to them. Do you ever feel that way? Oh, I would, I would share with my boss, but my boss, it, 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 you know, cost me my job. Or I, I, would, I would go in that doctor, I, I, even to think about people that way. In your work, we have a tendency to think the people who are, they've made it. The people who are in the bigger offices and the higher suites, they've made it. They don't need. And this is the exact point of Jesus crossing into Zacchaeus' household. Zacchaeus looks like he's made it. And Jesus says, You've not made it at all. Do you remember when you talked to the rich young man? The one thing you lack, top doc, CEO of a Fortune 500 company, right? Private jets, big watches, bins, whatever those cars are. You need salvation. And woe to us, church, when we know that and we darken those thresholds and we don't dare say it. Not because we're jealous. Not because we want them to not be wealthy or successful. No. I want you to be saved. You know all your wealth. It's not going to matter. This is the compelling message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The threshold opportunities that exist all around us. Look, and then Zacchaeus repents. What a beautiful story. He just repents instantly without even a lot of confrontation. He repents. He changes his mind. This is one of the, uh, I always say my favorite verse. I apologize for that, but it's true. Kind of all my favorite. Do you not realize? Do you, it says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? That's God's, do we, church. Um, not realizing that his kindness leads us to repentance. 
that the willingness to cross a threshold or enter into a domain or come to someone's house leads to repentance. This is uh, found in Romans. Romans 2. We have two more stops today to make. And God willing, if he wills it, we will make them. Romans 2 says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, because at whatever point you judge the other person, you are condemning yourself also, because you who pass judgment are doing these same things in some way. In other words, everyone that we see, we're, we're guilty of the same sin in some way. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere person, pass judgment on someone, and you're just deciding they're not worthy, they're not whatever it is, and yet you're doing the same things, do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his tolerance and his patience, not realizing that his kindness leads us to repent? I love that verse. Kindness. Ah, just that grace, that willingness to be there with those people leads others to repentance. Don't ever claim high holy ground, right? These doorways where we go, they're gifts that God has given us, opportunities that he's laid before us. When we walk through the door at our workplace, when we walk through the doors of school, heck, when we walk out of the front door of our house or when we walk into it, it's an opportunity to be a gospel-centered person. It's an opportunity to remember that when you're walking through, you're not walking as yourself only, but you're walking as a, a minister of the good news of Jesus Christ. When you're intimidated in the boardroom, when you're afraid of your peers, we ought to be believing God in those moments. So, question for you. Um, this week, how many doors will you go through? I want you to think about it just for a minute. How many doors do you think you will enter this week? And why would that matter? Why does it matter that every person is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Every person who is a disciple and is a believer becomes a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it's obvious, right? Because I and others in this room will not enter those doors. We won't. As a matter of fact, um, the truth is that every believer is uh, oh, every believer is a um, is uniquely equipped and I think that's one of the greatest deceits we tell ourselves is well, that's for those other people who are more gifted or whatever that's not true going as you are like you're uniquely equipped to go to the places that God's called you to go and to do the things that God's called you to do and there will be thresholds that you will enter that no one else will enter this week you, only you only you will go there and, and wherever that is I want you to think about the opportunity that God has given you in that space. Turn to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 2. It's right after the Gospels. This is uh, what's known as Pentecost in the church. It's when the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit's always been there, but the Holy Spirit came in a unique way at Pentecost upon the believers in Jesus Christ after his resurrection and after obedience to what God had called them to do. Day of Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 4. All of them, that's all the people, filled, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I want you to hear all that because we've taken this passage, we made it believe something very, very narrow. 
Everyone gathered there was filled with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit came, and everyone began to speak in other tongues as they were enabled by the Spirit to do so. Fair enough. So God's doing a great, big, powerful work in his people. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from what? Every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard those people speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? That might not connect immediately. Listen. Speaking the language of the people is a gift of God. Being able to relate in that way, being just who God made you to be in the moment, to be obedient, you can speak into cultures. And what's happening here is, powered by the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in tongues, and everyone stops because they go, they're speaking my language. What are they amazed by? Because they're Galileans. They're not my people, but they're speaking my language. They know there's a difference, but there's something the same, and they're drawn to that. We become spectacles for God's glory when we're willing to speak into those environments that God doesn't get heard from, you know? Like the friends that you think are far, far from God. That's an opportunity. You speak their language. You're their friend. Work or school or wherever it is for you. Speaking the language. So whose unique language do you speak? I mean, don't tell, me, don't tell me what you can't do. Don't tell me who you don't know and the gifts you don't have. Who do you speak to all the time? Or who has God put you in front of on a regular basis in your life? Who has God positioned you to be with? The Word says that we are all one body. That's in 1 Corinthians 12. Different parts, but one body, doing one work. And Christ is the head. Therefore, we should think about that, where he has us and who he has us with. Flip back a couple pages to chapter 4. Chapter 4. This is another level. Chapter 4, verse 12. Peter, I'll put it up on the screens, actually. I think I have it here, too, for you. Yeah. So Peter and, and um, let's see, uh, John are called before the rulers and asked... And this is Peter's confession. This is what Peter says at the end of a long diatribe about who Jesus is. He says, salvation is found in no one else because there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Lots of things there we won't get into, but listen. He's just saying, Jesus died that you could be free of your sin. Rulers, authorities, bigwigs. He died for you, right? That's what he says. Look at 13. This is what's crazy. Why were they amazed when they heard him speaking a language? Look at 13. When they, the rulers, saw the courage of Peter and John, they saw courage, and they realized, listen, that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I just want to close with that. (laughs) What was amazing about Peter and John was that they confessed a very simple message And there was nothing spectacular about them. They weren't ready for prime time. They weren't the most gifted orators. 
They weren't the, the person you would elect into the position. But listen, when they were obedient to what God called them to in the moment, they were amazed, and all they could say about these people is, they've been with Jesus. That's all I know about them. That's how it should be with us. At the end of the day, go as we are and, and just, you know, pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us in those moments. And when it happens, if it happens, it's for God's glory. And the amazement shouldn't be, wow, look how cool Bill is. Look how cool she is. Look how cool he is. But it should be, that person's an ordinary person like me. But they've been with Jesus. Man, that is the truth. That's the truth. So we go these doorways of our life. There's a few ways. One is, we've heard, welcome. The other is, I'm going to come to your house, right? Here, here's another threshold, our own homes. Hey, it's good to see you again. Come on in, right? And this is the one that God's really had in my heart. And this is, I want to see about deepening relationships in your life. How about that knock on the door? And when your friend opens it, you say, I came as soon as I heard. We are living in a more and more disconnected society. Have someone show up at your door because something's wrong. There's a relationship. Those are threshold opportunities that we can live into and grow into if we would only, listen, be obedient to God's call to go, to not be afraid. I'm going to pray for us. Um, the prayer is that we would, uh, we would go. The prayer is that we would become passionate and if we don't have passion, we can ask God, give me some passion. We don't want to be found as those on that day who are in danger of being spat out because we're lukewarm, good enough Christians. You know what I mean? We're not afraid in the way of like fear, uh, uh, unreasonable fear, but it's reasonable to think God's holy and he means what he says. And then we're called to be mature as believers. So I want to pray this morning. I'm going to pray for uh, uh, us in this room and then for the church globally that we could live into this in some way. Um, Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us through your word to understand uh, the truth of your gospel and the implications that it holds for our lives. Uh, Father, I am, uh, you know, hesitant because I don't know every person's story here, but I know my story, Father, and uh, I do want to confess that we do seem to screw things up all the time. And as a matter of fact, as your word kind of sets in today, we uh, so often fear other things and circumstances and people more than we respect you for who you are. And Father, ultimately, the journey is not a journey of obligation, but of obedience and joy. Um, that it's not a, a call away from something better, but towards something that's way better. And so, I, I, Father, I pray today that in you, in your Holy Spirit's time and power, for your glory, that your people be drawn into obedience out there that we would fight that battle to think that in here is where you are and out there is where you're not, that we would live and believe our faith every day of our lives. Father, I, I believe, because we've talked about it, you're going to show us things, uh, thresholds, opportunities, relationships. I pray that we would be attentive to your Holy Spirit in those moments, that we would obey your whispers, that we would proclaim them from the rooftops, that we would live in that space with you. And then ultimately that we would grow all the more joyful as we expect your return or expect our coming home. May you be glorified, Father. May your people be blessed. We continue to grow in obedience as we're pursuing you, the only God worthy to be praised. We love you so much and we worship you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.